Today, I am going to read an inspiring story about the power of God. Amen? Good. An inspiring story about the power of God. Let me give you a little history about Ezekiel 37 before I read it to you. Abraham, of course, God came to him and said, I'm going to make a mighty nation from your descendants. And God does over a long period of time. He creates the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation that they eventually are, are enslaved. But Moses comes and leads them out, of, out towards the promised land. They wander for many years, but they finally make it to the promised land and establish this great nation. However, uh, eventually, uh, this great nation divides and becomes two different nations. You have the ten tribes in the north, known as Israel, and then the two southern tribes, known as Judah. Eventually, because of their unfaithfulness to God, Israel is destroyed. The ten tribes to the north are destroyed and wiped out. And eventually, the two southern tribes of Judah also eventually are taken to, into captivity, and their capital city of Jerusalem collapses in 586 BC. And so Ezekiel is living during this time of destruction and eventually becomes a captive of foreign armies himself. It is a time for the Israelites. It is a time of trouble. It is a time of sadness. It is a time of fear. It is a time of dismay. It is a time of doubt. It is a time of discouragement, and it's a huge identity crisis for them. Who are we? I thought we are the people of God. Can you relate? I can. But in the midst of this devastating time, God comes to Ezekiel and offers a message of hope for the people of God. A message that I think applies to you and I today. Let's read this. Ezekiel 37. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared, the, uh, appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Man! This is an intense story, isn't it? This is a great story. Powerful imagery here. Powerful imagery. But the message of the story, this message of hope, still rings true to you and I today. It's a message that God is still alive. He is powerful. He is big. He is able to handle your darkest problems. That's this message, and it applies to us today. What can we learn? Well, let's break it down a little bit, all right? Shall we? Shall we look at it a little closer? How can we access this power that God is talking about? How can we experience this hope that God is offering to the Israelites? A few observations, all right? Here we go. First of all, you got to see the problem, you got to see the problem. You know, let's read back there in verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. If we are to experience the hope that God has for us, the very first step is we got to see the problem. We got to see the problem. You know, God takes Ezekiel into this valley And it's not just a valley, but it's a valley of bones. And it's not just a valley full of bones, but the Bible says it's a valley full of very dry bones. I mean, these are body parts that are long past the point of life, right? And he looks at Ezekiel and he says, is there any hope, Ezekiel? Is there? You know, this is a very similar situation that we see in the New Testament. In John chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching 5,000 people have gathered to hear Jesus speak, and now they're hungry. And Jesus says to his guys, hey guys, there's a problem. What do you think? Is there any hope? What can we do? How shall we feed them? Now the Bible says Jesus asked that, knowing what he was going to do, but he wanted to see what they had to say. What do you guys think? Well, Philip, 
says, you know, does a little math, pulls out his iPad. He's like, click, click, click. All right, yeah, we need about a half a year's wages to get everybody just to have a bite, right? And then Andrew comes along and goes, hey, I found this kid's lunch money. We can use this, or his lunch, not his money, but his lunch money. And so Jesus takes a very small thing, and he does a miracle with it. But before he does it, he wants his guys to see the problem first. You see, if we're going to have some hope, we got to first see the problem. we got to take an honest look at it. Why? Why? Why does God ask? Why does God say, hey, what do you think we should do? Is it that God really needs your input? Do you think? Do you think God really, you know, is like, hey, maybe they'll come up with an idea I didn't think about. Is that what God's really? No. God is trying to get us to take a humble, honest look at where things really are at. If you want the power of God in your life, you can't be in denial. You can't be in denial. You can't be making excuses. You can't be saying, well, yeah, but you and I got to own it. We got to take an honest look at the problem because that requires humility. That requires a sense of going, okay, God, you are God and I'm not. Are you willing to take an honest look at the problems in your life? Really, to look at them, to own them, not to point fingers at other people and say, well, the reason this problem, I have this problem is because of this. There may be some truth in that, but what about you? Are you going to own your problems? It takes a lot of humility. You know, we have a lot of dry bones here in the Brooklyn region. I probably don't have to tell you about them, but I will. We got marriages that are in desperate need of help. We've got people that are just nursing grudges towards other people. You want an interesting study? Open your NIV Bible and look up nursing a grudge and see how that turns out. Bitterness is an acid that you drink hoping it'll hurt somebody else. Bitterness just destroys you. And the Bible teaches actually then eventually it'll destroy other people as well. But we got members that are mad at leaders. We got leaders that are mad at members. We got people in here who are just giving in to sexual sins. Not even fighting. Just giving in. Just indulging. And I'm just talking about our members. I'm talking about the Christians. I'm not even talking about the non-Christians that are say the Bible. I'm talking about us. We got dry bones right here. We got people folding their arms, going, ah, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. If I was doing it, I would do it so much better. We got that going on right here. These are our dry bones. Do you realize the borough of Brooklyn has two and a half million people squeezed into 70 square miles? Do you realize that? Do you realize that this borough is the size of Chicago? Do you realize that? And yet we have sat for years at 300 members. For years. Now listen, I praise God for every disciple in here. 
thank you, God, every person that's been baptized. But why? Why are we just stuck at 300? That's not the example we see in the Bible. We clearly see in the scriptures that God wants every person to be saved. That's all 2.5 million people in our borough alone. We're just kind of sitting here. Why? Why? Why is this room every Sunday half full for years? Why? You know, Brooklyn is an incredibly diverse area of the world. We got black people in Brooklyn. We got white people. We got Asians. We got Hispanics. We got Jews. We got Gentiles. But look around. We haven't reached those people yet. We've only reached part of Brooklyn. These are our dry bones, brothers and sisters. This is where we're at. It's not okay. Now, I'm not sitting here. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. All right? I moved here. This is my home. You guys are my family now. Hopefully, you, you, know, you let me be in your family. Hopefully. I'm not trying to be prophet of doom here. What I'm trying to do is help us to see the dry bones so they can do what they're supposed to do, and that is humble us. Humble us. And then when God looks at us and says, well, what do you think we should do? We need to answer the smart way, the way that Ezekiel answered when he says, you, Lord, you alone know. He didn't even try to say, well, here's what we need to do, Lord. Here's the game plan. He said, Lord, he was humbled. That's what our dry bones need to do for us. They need to humble us. We're not as awesome as we think we are. Amen. God is awesome. But we got a lot of ways to grow. We got a lot of ways that we need to grow. If you're going to experience the hope that God has to offer you first, got to see the problem. And then, secondly, you got to you got to do your part. All right? I mean, let's read on here in verse 4. It says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So what did Ezekiel do? He said, I prophesied as I was commanded. He did it. You know, I don't know why. This is one of the big mysteries of God. But I don't know why God involves us in the process. I don't know why he does that. All throughout the scriptures, when God wants to do something great, he uses people. You know, if I was in charge, I could think of a lot more efficient ways to get stuff done than involving me. (laughs) Involving people. God does not have to involve us. But he does. You know, you see this throughout the Bible. God's wanting to save people, so he tells Noah to build an ark. He didn't have to. He could have just said, hey, Noah, go over the mountain. Guess what? I got a a surprise for you. Boom, there's an ark. Done. But he makes Noah build the ark. You know, Joshua 
goes in to capture the city of Jericho. And he has Joshua march around seven times. I mean, he didn't have to do that. That's not the only way. that. There's a lot of other ways God could do it. But God involves people. Peter wanted to pay his taxes. And God could have just been like, boom, check your pocket. Oh, there's your tax money. No, he makes Peter go fishing, pull out the fish, and in there he provides his taxes. You know, and he's got Ezekiel preaching to dry bones. God could have taken, done it a whole nother way, but he says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you do it. You do it. You speak to these bones. He doesn't have to include us, but he does. That is amazing to me. That is humbling. That is an amazing thing. Listen. So when you look at this, you can ask yourself the question, then what is my part? What is my role? Well, my part is to obey. My part is to look at what God tells me to do and do it. That's what Ezekiel did. God said, here's what I want you to do. Here's the problems. Now here's what I want you to do. And Ezekiel just did it. Obedience is not a bad word. Obedience is not just for kids. Obedience is not some archaic concept from ye olden days, right? Obedience is the gateway to access the very power of Almighty God. Obedience obedience to God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, speaking about Jesus, it says, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who do what? Obey him. You want to access eternal salvation? Our role is to obey him. That's it. That's what Ezekiel did. And that's what we're called to do. The great thing about obedience is this. It doesn't have to make sense. That's the great thing about obedience. It doesn't have to make sense to you. I mean, think about it for a second. Ezekiel is told to speak to a pile of dead body parts. That's weird, right? I I mean, I know this is likely a vision, right? This is probably something maybe he was you know, in a dream or something. But, I mean, imagine for a moment if somebody walked by, right? You know, some dude on his way, you know, to the deli looks over and sees a guy talking to, you know, body parts, right? Well, we live in New York. That might not be so weird for us. But for the average person, you walk by and you go, that's weird. You see, sometimes obeying God doesn't make sense in our minds. Sometimes obeying God, it doesn't always calculate. But that's, listen, if you can understand, if it does make sense, good, awesome, that's great. But it doesn't have to for you and I to obey. It doesn't have to. We can just obey. Sometimes our obedience even looks strange to outside people. Sometimes when we obey God, it just seems counterintuitive to everything else the world is saying. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a brother in the full-time ministry in our sister congregation 
in Moscow. Not Moscow, New Jersey. Moscow, Russia. And this brother sent me an email and he said, Hey, my 16-year-old boy is coming to Brooklyn to visit some family. He's going to be there for two weeks. Would you look out for him? Would you help us? I'm not coming, but my 16-year-old is traveling across the world. Now, parents of teens, and even if you're not a parent of a teen, that's, that, that would scare me. Sending a, my teenager across the world by him or herself. And so he emailed me and he said, I, I didn't know this guy. I didn't know him at all. He says, will you, you know, this is who I am. I'm your brother in Moscow. Would you look after my son? You know, and it was crazy because because it came from Moscow, I had that, you know, I, I, I was thinking about like all of the things you see in the news today, right? Right? To, to just summarize, we are not exactly on great terms as Americans with Russia, right? We're not exactly in, well, okay, I, you know, I'm going to say we weren't in sync, but maybe. I, we're not, we're, you know, this is not exactly a good thing. That's the world. But see, as a Christian, I'm not bound to that nonsense. As a Christian, I don't get up, get caught up in the civilian affairs of the politics of the day. Because politics are temporary. Love is eternal. And so when this brother from Moscow that I've never met, from a country that's not on great terms with my country, when he asked me, will you look after my boy? I said, yes, absolutely I will. I will get him connected to our team workers. In fact, we've been able to even work it out where Philip, who's sitting right here, you saw earlier, and has got a great name, obviously. Philip, Philip is actually now, this was last minute, but he's actually going to go to our team camp, which happens to be today, for a week, to hang out with 300 other teens. What I'm saying is, to the world, that looks odd. But as Christians, we obey God. We do stuff that looks crazy to the world, that goes against our our intuition, that goes against what makes sense in our culture, which goes against a lot. We love people, no matter who they are, what they look like, how different or the same they may be from us. We love people. That's the amazing thing about obedience. It doesn't have to make sense to you. And it's inspiring when people obey, isn't it? I am so inspired by our brother Onichi Aguaya. You know, and, and for many reasons, but let me share this one. You know, Onichi, we know he is battling for his life, literally. He has cancer throughout his whole body. And if that's not enough, he just got diagnosed with pneumonia. But this morning... Me and a couple other brothers, he sent a text to us. Nietzsche sent a text apologetically telling us why he doesn't think he's going to be able to make it to church today. I'm like, really? I was, I'm just blown away that he would even think that that would be a question in anybody's mind. I mean, that's amazing. Some of us. We wake up, ah, I'm a little tired, I'll skip it this Sunday. Come on, man! The dude's got cancer and pneumonia, and he's still trying to make it here. I mean, that's inspiring, isn't it? That kind of heart, that's the kind of hearts we need to have. 
The kind of heart that says, I'm going to do what's right no matter what my circumstances are. I'm going to obey even if it's odd or weird. Even if the Lord says, I want you to speak to a pile of dead body parts. Okay, Lord, that's what I'll do. This is our role. We've got to do what God wants us to do. Where is God calling you to obey him? Where is he calling you to do something that doesn't make sense to you? But you know God's saying through his word, through the scriptures, this is what you need to do. Where is he calling you to obey? In order to have hope, we've got to see the problem. We've got to understand our heart. And we've got to understand the process. Let's look at this just a few more minutes here. In verse 7 it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, and that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. I love Stephen's point last, last Wednesday at our midweek service about the breath of God. Right? The Bible says that the word of God is, is God-breathed. And in the book of Genesis, he made the point that we see God's breath taking a pile of mud and bringing it to life. Here's another example of the breath of God bringing something inanimate to life. And his point is that's what the word of God does in our life. I thought, I've never thought of that before. I thought that is an amazing point, is that God, through his word, breathes into us. And so here you see God breathing into these people. But there is a process. There's a process that happens here. God could have expedited the whole process, right? God could have said, all right, Ezekiel preached to him. Ezekiel preaches to him. And then, boom, pile of dead bones. Bam, vast army. Done deal. Thank you. But instead, there's a process. We see a process a valley. In this valley, there are bones. These are not just ordinary bones, they're dry bones. God and Ezekiel have a conversation. From that, Ezekiel preaches. From that, there's some rattling, some noise. From that, a bunch of skeletons come up. From that, some tendons begin to wrap around these skeletons. From that, the Bible says flesh is added, and then skin is added. From that, it stops until there's more preaching, there's more prophesying. And from that brings life, and then from that, a vast army of the Lord. Listen, sometimes there is a process to getting hope. Sometimes it does not just happen overnight. Sometimes there is a procedure to go through. This is a theme you see throughout the Bible. Naaman wanted to be healed of his disease. So, so the prophet gave him a process. Now, at first, he wouldn't do it. He's like, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. Guess what? He didn't get healed. Eventually, he humbled himself, and he went and did the process, and he found healing. But there was a process. Jesus, even when he turned water into wine, went through a process. He told the servants, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. Follow these steps. And from that came a miracle. Even God, when he created the world, yes, he spoke the world into being, but he went through a six-day process. 
Throughout the Bible, the process of faith builds convictions. The process of faith, the process strengthens faith. It's when power is accessed. So my question for me and my question for you is, are you impatient? Are you impatient? Are you like, God, I want hope and I want it now. Are you looking for shortcuts? Don't shortcut God's plan. There's a process. It takes time sometimes. And you and I, we got to trust God's timing and not our own timing. See the problem, do our part, embrace the process. And the last point that I want to make is this, the point. In finding hope, there is a point in all of this. There is a point. Again, look back in verse 11. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones and the whole house of Israel, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back from the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. What is the point? What is God saying here? He's telling Ezekiel the point of this. The point of the whole thing and the point God is saying to to Ezekiel and for all the people is this. I will revive you. I will strengthen you. I will redeem you. I will help you. I will save you. I will open your graves. I will bring you up. I will give you my spirit. I will give you a home. I will give you life. And that same message of hope is for me and you today. It's the same one. I will... God is saying to us, listen, I will, I, will, I will help you with your problems. I will help you with your fears. I will bring you victory where you only see defeat. I will bring you hope where you are hopeless. I will bring you light where you see darkness. I will bring you love where you only feel hate. I will bring you faith where you have doubt. I will bring you courage where you see fear. I will bring you strength to your weakness. I will bring the possible where you see only impossible. Why? Why? Verse 13, then you, my people, will know I am the Lord. That is the point. God revives us so we will know he is the Lord. He wants us to know him. That's his goal. Why? Is he insecure? Is he in need of attention? Does he wonder, am I really God unless these people recognize that I'm God? Is he egotistical? No. He, according to James 1, is the source of every good and perfect gift. And he wants you to share in that. That's the point. That's the point. Are you looking for God? Are you letting your problems and your struggles and your challenges point you to God? Do your difficulties cause you to pray more or pray less? Do your challenges cause you to dive into the scriptures more 
or less. That's where we find God in our prayers and in our Bible study. Listen, hope is powerful. A man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon and he asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing and we're losing. Wow, said the spectator. I bet you're discouraged. Why? Why should I be discouraged, replied the little boy. We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. A little baseball analogy. All right. Hope, hope is inspiring. Listen, we believe in prayer and we believe in Bible study here. Whether you're brand new or whether you've been doing this for decades, we all need prayer and we all need Bible. Why? Because the hope is in God. Listen, your mistakes are not fatal. Your problems are not eternal. You are not yet done. It's not over yet. You may feel that your life is full of dry bones, but the message here is that God is bigger than your lifeless situations. God is bigger and he's greater. God is big. The dry bones are small. He is ready to change my life. He's ready to change your life. See the problems. Do your part. Embrace the process. And let's get the point. Thank you. Amen.